0: I want to start off by giving you a deep cut from uh, a, a, one of the greatest theologians that's ever lived, A. E. Rossmith, um, and I just, I just, this really means a lot to me today, especially. And it says, and I'm going to give it a little bit of pizzazz as I show you this. It says, "I'm back, I'm back in the saddle again, I'm back." I'm back in the saddle again. Okay, that's, I'm not Steven Tyler. Sorry about that. (laughs) Yes. uh... 84 days of sabbatical for Carol and I, or not really Carol, she still worked, but for me, and we had a great time, really felt these three things, as I had mentioned before we left, we felt rested, refreshed, and refocused, and it was really great, so I just, I want to first off just by saying thank you that the church does this for, for us, and uh, it's really a blessing, and so we really had a great time. It wouldn't be good unless I showed you a couple pictures of our biggest trip. And so we took a trip out west and visited 11 different parks and attractions out in the Utah, Nevada, uh, a little bit in the Colorado area, a little bit in California. Did this kind of loop around and did a bunch of national parks and different things. And here we are at Arches. I never had been there. And this is Arches National Park and just a phenomenal time there. And then we went to, uh, after that, went to Bryce Canyon I guess we went to Bryce first and then over to Arches, but Oh, just beautiful. It's just amazing what God has done in his creation. And uh, I highly recommend this loop. There's kind of a famous loop you do there. You go to Zion, you go to Bryce Canyon, you go up to Arches, you go to Canyon Lands. There's a few others up in that way. And it's really amazing. And we had a great time. It was it was fantastic. Um, and here, you can just see the beauty. Uh, forget the guy standing there, but just the amazing beauty of God's creation. And it's just it was great. We spent about five weeks of our 12-week period somewhere else and enjoying most of it just being outside, enjoying what God has created. And they just something that's really uh, refreshing and renewing about that. So thanks so much for that. This week, it is my privilege to kick off our new sermon series. It's going to be a four-week sermon series on Entrusted. And it's a sermon series on stewardship. In other words, we have been entrusted uh with things from God and how do we manage those? How do we steward them? And as you can see from the icons, there's four weeks and there's four main uh, categories here. There's time treasure, talent, ticker. See, they all start with T, and the ticker's a stretch, but we had to have your heart. It didn't, it didn't quite work any other way. But, but these are the things that God has, has given to us that we are able to, to pass on or to give to others, and how do we steward that? So we're going to be in a uh, middle of a, or we're going to do a four-week series on this. And uh, hit the different uh, categories and some of the locations might do them in a little bit different order just because we have Ben Wasik coming in to do one of them and he's going go to go to Columbia Heights and do it there as well. So it might be a little bit different if you're looking at different, uh, uh, different locations and how we're going through it. This week we're going to be starting off the series, this stewardship series, talking on, I think, the way you need to talk is you need to talk about your ticker. Your heart, and how what, it, what is our heart, and how are we engaged in giving it away? Now, before we start going into any of this, I want to give a few disclaimers, all right? So because it can often be, oh, they're doing a stewardship series, right? And so you can you can kind of put the two and two together, right? And you're going, aha. So let me give you a few disclaimers here. Uh, First off, uh, we do not want your money. (laughs) Some silly thing to say from a church, right? We have a budget, we have staff, quite a few staff, and we do a lot of things around the city and we try to bless the city. We try to start other churches, a lot of things. It's expensive, no question about it. That's not the point of this sermon series. The point of this sermon is you're not, yeah, I know some of you have been maybe just coming and you're just checking out church for uh, maybe for the first time or coming back to church and just waiting, waiting for the shoe to drop for someone to shame you and say, hey, what's up? You're not given what you should be given, right? So here's the reality. I and our pastoral staff and our staff, except the ones, of course, that handle the income, we don't know what you give. I I don't, I don't know that. And so that's not... We're not here to shame anybody. Uh, We actually think it's a a freeing thing, a joyful thing. God loves cheerful giving, and we'd love to see that, of course. But this is not a series of, hey, we're trying to get everybody to to do this. Uh, We do series on certain topics. Stewardship is one of them uh, from time to time just in the schedule. And this is, uh, we're about that. In fact, we're past due on that. Second thing is generosity. or living in such a way that you live as a manager and not as an end user. You're not using it as an end user of grace, but to go through. That encompasses all of life. And, you know, the one that people often focus in on is finances. We're not starting there today, but it encompasses all of life. And because of that, therefore, the gospel is the beginning and the end of it, right? This begins with the fact that Christ gave, that God gave to us so generously that we can freely and not under any compulsion, and not because we don't want to, we do because we want to be involved in other people's lives with our hearts, in in projects with our hands and and our talents, in in giving of our time to others and giving of our treasure as well. And then lastly, because of this, this is extremely countercultural. Okay, uh, this is this is going to hurt. It, it, it just, I'm just. Whenever I look at generosity in my own life and I try to think, how can I be a more generous person, God? How can I be less of an end user of the grace that you've given to me? It always is challenging to me because I end up finding out that I'm kind of selfish. And it's, well, I'm not really selfish. I just want what I want when I want it. But other than that, I'm not selfish at all. And, and so, so this week, we're going to look at the heart. And the question you got to ask yourself is that phrase, what is the heart, right? And if you think of it just in the way we use the phrase, right, well, that's the heart of the matter, or I lost their heart, or do you love me from your heart, or, you know, on and on and on, right? It's, it's a big word. It encompasses a lot of things. And if you look biblically at some of these things, you, you You find I made a mind map here in the shape of a heart of all the different things in scriptures that it's used to talk about it's your true self and your thoughts and your intellect and your desires and the center of of uh, your thinking it's your desires it's your passions uh it's just on and on and on it's the heart of the matter right it's it's all of that in fact, when we look biblically at this one of the clear verses on this is from proverbs one of the verses when i was a young follower of christ i memorized and it it just says above all else guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life in other words out of whatever this heart thing is this and and it's talking about more than just your aorta and your you know ventricles and all that it it, although that kind of works too because it's kind of the center of your nervous system you need it uh, nervous system. Wow. Shows you. <laughs> I'm not a medical doctor. Uh, your, your, uh, circulation system, right? And it, and it kicks this all out. Same thing here. There's something about the heart is where everything comes out of. And, uh, it's wellspring. It, it comes from there. So somehow you gotta watch it. If you follow along in scripture, if you, and I, and I did this little study, uh, today, um, and, and, I, and I looked at the 854 times, I think, that they used the word heart. I didn't look at every single one of them, but there is a pattern, and it generally, in the beginning of the Bible, it starts off kind of negative because sin comes in the world, and then you start to see people's hearts go away from God. In fact, in Genesis 6, it talks about that every inclination of their heart was opposed to God, was sinful. In fact, if you keep going on in this, uh, we start to see where the heart, uh, and the heart is, uh, according to use the New Testament word, the cardia, the heart is the center and source of the whole inner life with its thinking, feeling, and volition. So that's all that we are, right? It is mind, will, and emotions. And a lot of times I think we think of them as separate, like my head's saying this and my heart's saying this. And we think of that as like my rationale is saying this, but my feelings are saying something else, so I don't know what to do. And those three are the classic three things, the mind, the will, and the emotions. And the Puritans just said, yeah, it's all kind of put them all into a blender and it comes out as the affections and that's your heart. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. And the problem with it is, is biblically speaking, on our own, sometimes you think, I trust my mind more. Or I trust my emotions more. I'm a, I'm a gut check person. I, I know what things are going to be right. Or I'm good at decision making. I can see things and I make a good decision. I choose a good path. The problem is, if that what is encompassing our heart, you keep going along the biblical storyline where we start to see what happens because of sin, because we live in a broken world. So on our own, uh, it says in Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well, that's pretty hopeless. <laughs> that sounds awful, right? The heart is deceitful. So I can't trust the seat. I'm pointing at my, my, my heart here, but my, I can't trust the seat of all my mind, will, and emotions because it deceives me, right? Well, that's discouraging. It says it's it's beyond cure. In fact, it's so beyond cure, if you keep going on in the Old Testament, God talks about a new day that's going to happen, or he's actually going to do a heart surgery, not just a heart surgery. He's going to do a transplant. Listen to this, as the prophet Ezekiel talks about what's going to come when Jesus comes on the scene and people come to faith in him And something's going to happen for everyone who believes in him. It says this, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Let me just make that clear. He's going to say, I'm going to remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's a heart transplant. And I'll put my spirit in you, my spirit in you. And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So, biblically speaking, here, what happens when a person comes to faith in Jesus? They get a new heart. Because their old heart was, it says, it was, it was heart of stone, right? It was a heart that was not receptive to God and his ways. It was leaning into evil. So, might be saying, Oh, okay, great. So I come to faith, I get a new heart, and I don't ever have to struggle anymore. It's all gonna be fine. I've got this heart of flesh, this this really soft heart now. God's spirit's in me. He's moving in me. Everything's good. And that's true, but we still live in this world where the outside voices are here. And and the way I wanna wanna get there is through the Apostle Paul in the New Testament where he talks about, uh, he has two prayers in the book of Ephesians and he talks specifically about our hearts. And he says this in the first one, in Ephesians chapter one, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The eyes of your heart. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So Paul's saying here, I'm praying, he's talking to believers here now, people with new hearts. He's saying to them, I want you to, to your heart to be so enlightened, so opened that you can know these three things. The hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glory to inheritance, and the these." power that courses through your veins, the same power that's there at the time when he raised Jesus from the dead, okay? So he's saying, may that be more and more of a reality in life. He keeps asking that. You can see that in the second one. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inner being, from Ephesians chapter 3, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, Well, doesn't Jesus already dwell in the heart of a believer? Of course he does. But Paul's saying, I want that to be more and more and more. I want that to to move in your heart. And he says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, it may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp, to hold on to, to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I love that phrase what does he say here? I want you to know something that you can't know. I want you to know this love that is, it surpasses knowledge, but I want you to taste it. You can't drink all the fire hose, but I want you to put your lips right around it. Uh, uh, Okay, it's hard to talk and do that, But and turn on the, the water and let it just blow your mind. That's what he prays for, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So in other words, The new heart, there's a battle going on. It's new, and yet it needs to be renewed constantly because there's voices that are speaking into it, other voices. Now, let's speak a little bit about those other voices. A gentleman by the name of uh, Matt uh, Smethurst just wrote an article on the Gospel Coalition website which says, don't follow your heart. That sounds like what? And I love this graphic here, right? Follow your heart, love yourself. And then he says this, uh, says, uh, don't, don't follow your heart, uh, uh, and deny yourself, right? And he starts out the article, I'm going to read some of it, but I wanted to summarize some too. He starts out the article by talking about watching a movie with this five-year-old daughter at that time, and the movie was the movie Trolls by DreamWorks, right? And it's, it's this movie where, where they're talking a lot about happiness, and this five-year-old girl turns to her dad and says, Daddy, um, is happiness found deep within us? I thought happiness was found in God. And he says in the article, I'm not sure if I went and bought her an ice cream cone at that moment or not, but I should have, right? (laughs) That's just a great answer, right? And then he goes on to say this. Let me just quote a little bit of the article. I think it's really insightful. He says, like many artistic productions, trolls is a sermon. It's cultural catechism. I'm going to come back to that word. I love it. Even the film's tagline is candid. This is a story about happiness. In one scene near the end, the troll princess, Poppy, is chatting with the, the resident curmudgeon, Branch. Poppy says, thank you. And Branch says, no, thank you. Well, for what? For showing me how to be happy. Really? You're finally happy now? He says, I think so. Happiness is inside all of us, right? Sometimes you just need someone to help you to find it, Right? And he goes on to say, the film's theme song, Timberlake, uh, Justin Timberlake's Can't Stop the Feeling, is a fun tune, perfect for spontaneous dance dance parties in the kitchen, right? Uh, Find the animated version on YouTube, and you'll hear a few seconds of dialogue before the music begins. What's this dialogue that has been played as of the writing, which was in September of this year, nearly 600 million times? The king says, do you really think that I can be happy? And Poppy says, of course. It's inside you. It's inside all of us. And I don't think it, I feel it. I got this feeling inside my bones, right? And he says, it, it wasn't always like this in the history of the world. In fact... Uh, Every previous culture in history would find this dialogue nonsensical, probably even dangerous. The meaning of your life wasn't something discovered within you. It was something delivered to you. You were born into a community, a heritage, and handed a set of responsibility. Nobody encouraged you to discover your purpose. You were simply told it. Was your last name Baker? Light the stove. Smith? Sharpen the tools, right? (laughs) Life in the late modern West could not be more different. <clears throat> if traditional cultures tended to reduce people to their duties, the modern world reduces people to their desires. Just listen to the soundtrack of our age, and here he's going to list things that, that are, we're being told, right? Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Find yourself. Love yourself. Express yourself. Believe in yourself, right? And he says, we inhabit a secular age in which transcendence or understanding a bigger picture than us, God, has been thinned out and trivialized, and the sovereign self thrust to the center of the stage. Nowadays, uh, pilgrimages to find truth, beauty, and goodness don't require a plane ticket, just a mirror. It's a great line. This is an exhausting way to live. I don't have the wisdom to define my destiny, nor the fortitude to fulfill it without making a royal wreck of my life and inflicting untold pain on those I have lo- I love most. I am unqual- underqualified to explore my heart and steer my life. I can barely reply to emails. Okay, he's just saying, look at look at the way the world is communicating to you, and I would argue that what has happened to us as a culture more so in the last five years than any other period of time that I've been alive, and I am old, uh, is that, you know, a lot of you grew up Lutheran and Catholic, and you maybe remember these books, right? The little catechism book, and you had to memorize parts of it, and you had to go, and there were tests on different things, and you were told these are the tenets of the faith, of all that kind of thing. And, and, and we're being catechized every day, all the time, by our media, by our social media, uh, by our advertising, by rules of, uh, of just the way things are happening in our society, all the time we're being told this is the right way to live. This is the right way to think. And it's causing a significant tension because when you start to read this book, it does not now nor has it ever been in sync with the way that people who don't believe this book think. It, it, it's just different Listen to this contrast here, right? The world, the catechism you're hearing is follow your heart's desires. And Jesus says, follow me. That will be your heart's desire. Uh, the world teaches, love yourself first and foremost. Nobody else is going to look out for number one. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as you love yourself. The world teaches, Discover yourself. You can maximize your self-actualization. Become all you're meant to be. And Jesus actually says, in order to follow me, you got to deny yourself. Whoa, that's radical. And the world says, believe in yourself and trust only in yourself. And Jesus says, believe in me. If you really want to be set free, if you really want to have self-actualization, you have to get out of yourself and you got to come to me, and look at me, and then all of a sudden, like, oh my goodness, things start to make significant sense. So as we look at the issue of the heart, and we start to say, what keeps us from being people who live liberally, who live generously with our hearts and our affections, and and what we think of others, and do we care and move towards others, what is it that stops us? In 1812, there was a uh, famous battle uh, in the War of 1812, uh, and the gentleman, uh, the commander was uh, Oliver Hazard Perry. On uh, Lake Erie, there was a battle, and uh, he reported back to Buchanan, uh, President Buchanan, the results of the victory. They had a huge victory, and he had said, we have met the enemy, and they are ours. And he went on to list, all the the ships that have either captured or sunk. Walt Kelly, the it, many way too young. Walt Kelly was a, a cartoonist in the early part of the, the 20th century. He took up on that and he said, Well, actually, we have met the enemy and he is us. The, the enemy of being freed in order to have a generous heart is self, selfishness. As I look at not if I'm holding on to me, Instead of looking first to God to satisfy me and then saying, God, you satisfy me, not my achievements or, 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 uh, my self-actualization, but just looking at you and what you've done for me in Christ so that I can just be a loving person towards others and moving out in the community. If I don't do that, there's no way to get there. I, I, I am the enemy. I'm the enemy. I, I'm the, 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 uh, I'm, I'm the, 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 the bottleneck in the, in the system here. I am the thing that stops us from being the way God would desire us to live really generously. So what that requires then is I walk around with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I'm with me a lot, right? And so I'm very conscious of me all the time. And some of the most freeing things and times for me, and one of the great things about sabbaticals and going to places where the natural beauty takes your breath away is, I haven't thought about myself for hours. And it's glorious, right? In other words, what we have to do then is we kind of got to say, wait a minute now, what am I filling my brain with? What am I choosing to believe that is contrary to what Jesus tells me about what I'm supposed to do with my heart, what I'm, what I'm supposed to ultimately trust. And, and so therefore, uh, like uh, the great, the great uh, philosopher Socrates, <laughs> Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. You gotta examine yourselves in everything and say, God, I wanna live by your kingdom. Why? And here's where the upshot of it is. Jesus says, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you will find it. In other words, if you really want to be full of happiness and if you really want to be self-actualized and you really want to live your best life, it's by dying to self and going to Christ and getting outside of yourself and saying, it's about you, it's not about me, then I start to live the way God designed me. And I, all these desires that I have, I've, gotta, I've got to examine them and say, God, is this for your glory? God, is this something that would give you uh, would, would somehow show you off and would give me real joy or is it, a, am I being duped? Now, let me do a little case study. Might seem like I'm shifting gears. I'm really not. <laughs> I, 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 want you to, to see this. Uh, as I, as I picked this, I was a little hesitant because I thought, yeah, this is another whole major topic, but that's okay. I would just, do the best, if, if you can, just stay with me. And I want you to do a case study here on how the apostle Paul helps a group of people to overcome something that was in their life, and it was very significant. It was a cultural thing in the city of Corinth, and these people were part of that culture at that time. And what they would do culturally is when you got of age, you would go to the pagan temples, and you would worship, and part of pagan temple worship was to hire a temple prostitute and have sex with her, or him. So the, the that was just part of their, their rhythm. And when they came to faith, a lot of them were having a hard time you know, giving that up. So the Apostle Paul's going to deal with that. Listen to how he does it. That's the point I want to get across here. I want, I want you to watch how he does this. He doesn't just say, you dirty, rotten people, what are you doing? He doesn't do that. He does something else. And let me just walk you through it. And he says this. He says, he quotes three parables that they, their culture would have said. I have the right to do anything. That's one of their sayings but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both, right? So the the parables that they were stating, I guess he restates one twice, but he's basically saying freedom. Freedom means just do whatever you want. And Paul says it is, but what if it's not beneficial? And what if it masters you? Is that really freedom or is that slavery? Is that bondage? And then he says, he says, Hey, man, food in the stomach, stomach food, you know what? It's eventually going to get destroyed, so you might as well eat, drink, and do everything that your, your desires want and satisfy them right now, and um, the Apostle Paul is realizing very quickly he's going to say that he's quoting that, but he's, if they're using that idea of it just desire, you fill your desires, he's moving it towards a sexual thing, and he says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body, so he just says, hey, listen, it might feel right now that you're designed for this uh, this, this crazy sexual experiences, but you're actually not. You're actually designed by God for him, and you'll actually be more satisfied, and you won't be mastered, and it will be beneficial, and it, you'll have a much better, at the end of your life, you're going to go, that was way better, right? By the power. Now, listen to how he gets there. He says, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? He says, Never. And he goes on to say, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. He quotes from Genesis chapter 2. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, that to me, this, and we don't have enough time here, obviously, as we're wrapping up right now, but that passage right there, to think through his logic of what he's doing, is amazing. He doesn't just tell them, hey, listen, that's wrong. Stop doing it. This is right. Do this. He doesn't do that. He walks them through it. Now, what I want to do is I've colored this. And I've given different colors to this. Red, I'm saying this is a place where he's evoking emotion, right? Gray is where he's evoking their mind. And green is the place where he's evoking their will, right? You're going to do these things. And he's getting after it saying, uh, I'm trying to speak to your emotion. I want you to think. I want you to let that sit. That if you just do these things, you know these these phrases, does that lead really to happiness? And then I want you to have the renewal of your mind, the way things, the way God designed things. And then He says, you know, are we going to do this? No, we're not. Then look at the next one he says listen this is what the purpose of sexuality is actually it's about becoming one flesh but he unites it right away with saying it's actually sexuality is not an end thing even in itself it's actually to communicate the relationship between christ and the church god's relationship with us that's so paramount so even in marriage if you're not having it that attitude you're not really using it properly and then he just says flee from sexual immorality right he says, there's something about it that it's, it was created in such a way that it actually goes towards our identity. And then he goes to their emotions. Don't you know that your body is where the Holy Spirit lives? He's in you. And you've received it from God. He says, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. It's a totally different way of looking at your identity. He's saying, God chose to purchase you, brought you to himself, and he holds you as his possession. Therefore, honor God with your body. Do you notice what he's not doing here? He's not just telling them what to do. If you notice, the green was very little. That's not the way mostly we do things. We just yell at people and tell them what to do. We don't give them the heart. We don't give them the the mind. And then we don't give them just a little bit saying, yeah, this is why. That's what he's going for here the transformation of the mind, the constant renewal of the mind, just like Paul was praying, that the eyes of your heart would be opened so that you could see the riches of the gospel so that therefore it leads to an overflow. It allows you then to be a generous person in all areas of your life and it allows you to get outside yourself and to actually love one another. That's generosity. That's your ticker. Matt Smethurst ends by saying this if traditional view, if a traditional view of identity effectually says you are your duties, and a modern identity says you are your desires, then a gospel identity says you are your saviors. You belong to him and to his people. Step, step off the treadmill of self-obsession and walk into the presence of a God who loved you before the beginning. The most important story in your life isn't one you wrote, and it isn't one in which you play the starring role. You exist to make someone else look good. That's not limiting. It's liberating. And don't be surprised if it makes you happy. So, as we move towards the time of communion, I'd love for you to think about a couple of questions this week as you go through your week. Just simply asking yourself uh, uh, Am I giving my whole heart to Jesus Christ? Am I, am I giving my mind, my emotions, and my will? Lord, I give it to you. I give it. But with that, then, do you feel like the self is coming in and, and grabbing things back so that you need to rethink or refeel?" or redo in light of the gospel of grace. And that leads us to this table with these little cups and the self cups we have now here at downtown. And, and uh, this little piece, this little wafers reminds us of the body and this, this little cup of juice here reminds us of the blood of Jesus Christ who paid his, paid for us, paid the penalty for us. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Take and eat together. Let's pray. God, I, I just acknowledge it's, like I said in the beginning of this, this is hard. Hard for me. The older I get, Lord, the more I realize how selfish I am. And I don't know if I'm becoming more selfish or I'm just becoming more self-aware. But either way, Lord God, I just pray for all of us, all of us listening, all of us that will gather in this room on Sunday, God, that we would be people who would truly, truly be so filled to the measure of grace that our eyes would be opened, that we would see the, the hope and the riches and the power of the gospel, that we would be people, God, who are enamored by you, that you are our reason, that you are the owner of everything, and we are just managers. And then we would delight in passing out the goods that you have given to us. So God, make us those, make us those. I pray, God, after this four-week series, God, we're not the same as when we started, that, that we actually are people who live in light of the gospel and are generous in all areas of our life. That's only gonna happen by a work of your spirit. So we wanna give you permission. We wanna ask you, we're gonna beg you to do that work in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.